Welcome everybody back to another episode of Bigelow's Bungalow, and it should be called Bigelow's Bungalow Mobile because I'm not in my usual recording studio. Um, but today I have a wonderful friend and a wonderful guest, Molly. She is a super accomplished individual, incredibly bright, currently at 1-800-CONTACTS as a director, right? Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, I'm very excited to talk with her today and to pick her brain and to learn about her story. So, um, Molly, I'll just let you introduce yourself. Give us your elevator pitch for yourself. Oh, okay. Elevator pitch. Well, um, when I was... Uh... When I was growing up, I always had an affinity or um, I liked things that were um, number oriented, mechanical oriented, and I really actually liked business. I didn't know that I liked business, but I liked business. I liked to pretend like I was cashier at the store or yeah. that I was a that I was um, someone who worked at the bank. I thought the bank was the coolest place in the world. Anyway, I ended up going um, after high school, I ended up going down to BYU and um I got there and I didn't know what I wanted to study. I didn't know who I was or what I wanted to do, but I ended up um, very uh, serendipitously fell into the uh, manager school, which is the business school. So I went there and the thing that made the most sense to me was accounting. So I studied accounting at BYU, um, got my bachelor's and master's there. And then from there, I moved on to Arthur Anderson, which was at that point, that was one of the big five accounting firms. And it was a pretty prestigious big deal to do that. And I, I was the only one hired out of BYU to the Salt Lake office of, of uh, Arthur Anderson that year, which was 1999. Um, well, as many of you will know, Arthur Anderson did not last. <laughs> um, I've never heard so of it, I was honestly. There for about, yeah, I was there for about three years. And then the whole Enron debacle happened and um, Arthur Anderson dissolved. And at that point, I was picked up by KPMG, which is another one of the big four accounting firms. Mm -hmm. um, and I worked there for about another year. And it just so happened that one of the um, clients that I had, I really had a good relationship and I really liked. And that was 1-800-CONTACTS. And so after about four years and a little bit of uh, public accounting, 1-800-CONTACTS hired me to uh, work there. And I've been there ever since. So that was about 17 years ago now. And I'm assuming um, I've been you like it. Contact. Public accounting or 1-800-CONTACTS? 1-800-CONTACTS. You've been there very long. 1-800-CONTACTS. Yeah. So I was given a really good piece of advice by one of the um, office managing partners that I had. His name was Porter Hall. And he was talking about um, when do you know it's the right time to leave public accounting? Public accounting is usually, it's kind of like an apprenticeship. Or, you know, like the first years of loss of uh, being at a, a law office or something where you're kind of, um, yeah, you're kind of an apprentice. And he said, look across all of your clients and all the people that you meet and see and don't ever leave public accounting unless you can leave for one of the very best, the one that you see as the primo, the one you like the very most. And um, as I looked down the list of my clients and I was thinking about all the places I liked to go and audit, <clears throat> I thought, you know what, 1-800-CONTACTS is head and shoulders about all of my other clients. And so when the opportunity came, um, it was actually a pretty easy decision. Um, and, I, and I left quickly. It was right during the Sarbanes-Oxley time when Sarbanes-Oxley was getting set up. So I had to be 
I had to move quick. Um, but I did, and and uh, I have not regretted it. It has been a tremendous opportunity, and uh, I I don't know. I love it. It's it's a, it's a really good good place to be. So, um, that's essentially you know my the road to where I am today. Um, as far as the rest of my life, I was uh, married three years ago to um, a therapist. <laughs> so my husband's name is Ryan Nelson, and he's a, a, a therapist. He does. People that suffer from anxiety and depression, uh, marriage problems, um, all kinds of things, addictions. He's worked in um, treatment centers and things like that. So I have a very different, my brain works very differently than my husband's. Yes. But we've been married for three years. We, we moved to Riverton, Utah, and uh, he has two children that came with him. They're a package deal. They're um, nine and seven. So I became instant stepmother. Uh, when we first got married, they were six and four. And so now, you know, we've survived three years together as a, as a little family unit. And, um, so that's, that's great, uh, opportunity to, you know, have so many years of my life single. And then, um, when I was 42 years old to, to, to get married and have instant family. And so we moved into a house in Riverton and that's it. That's awesome. So, um, Let's let's start with my first question for you. Okay. Accounting clearly is it is obviously male dominated. I was in I was a business major for a while. Uh-huh. Um, what was that like kind of moving up the ranks? Um did you feel any of the did you feel any pressure or what was your kind of experience with that? So ironically, nationwide accounting isn't male dominated. Hmm. In fact, nationwide accounting um, is actually, um, in a lot of cases, it's a little bit more females than males. Um, females, a lot of times, tend to gravitate towards the tax side of things. So they become tax counts. And a lot of times, you know, doing taxes and doing tax accounting is something that <clears throat> you can juggle well with a family and that you can do from home or that people could do on a more part-time basis. So when I was, um, now that's not necessarily the case at BYU where I was. Yes. Um, at BYU where I was, it's about 34, 35% are in the, uh, accounting side. So, but when I got into Arthur Anderson and I would go to these national, uh, training sessions and I would be there with, you know, the rest of the country, I was right in the middle of it with, you know, kind of a 50, 50 almost yeah. with women. Now, that doesn't mean that that the women were in leadership. There weren't as many women partners mm-hmm. or senior managers or principals within the company. But as far as the staff level, I was very comfortable. I was I was right in, right in the mix of it, and there wasn't a huge male-dominating thing there. However, in the office I was in in Salt Lake City, as well as where I came up in BYU, it, it was a little bit more male-dominated. But my experience was I didn't feel like I felt any amount of discrimination. The um, partners and managers that I worked with kind of looked at me based upon my uh, efforts. And um, I actually took leadership roles within the uh, within my first couple of years um, it, as, as quickly, if not more quickly, than a lot of my male counterparts. Um, and a lot of it just has to do with what's your hustle? Are you willing to talk to people? Do you have people skills? Yeah. And yeah. those kind of things played out very, very well for me. So. 
That's good. Um, and so how, you know, I'll, I'll change subjects in a second. You talked about how maybe not on the principal and partner level. Is that starting to change? Are you starting to see more like female partners, more female uh, controllers or whatever? Uh-huh. So there's, so within the accounting world itself, there's more and more females. Um, and accounting is, is actually, you know, one of those industries where, where women do have a lot of, of say. Um, one other opportunity I have that's really neat, I get to sit on the board of advisors for the accounting school at BYU. Oh, wow. So um, it's kind of an interesting board. We advise the school on what kind of issues and topics we think that they should be teaching the students. And we, you know, give them advice as to where we think the industry's going. And the students that come out of BYU, we can say, okay, we've hired your students and the ones that came out in this class or this class seem to be lacking in this technology skill or this, or we think that they should be getting more um, teaching and, you know, sort of. Anyway, as I sit on that board, um, half of the board is women. And they're all, you know, either senior managers or partners within uh, public accounting firms. And it's it's really been a good experience. And I've had a really good experience seeing, you know, women in leadership roles. And, and they're different than, than men, but they, they bring something to the table that's very useful and very helpful, I think. Yeah. Um, my next question for you is, I so I've known you for... I don't know how many years, many years, years, many, many, many years. And I always remember you being, it could be raining, it could be tornadoes, it could be hurricanes, but you have always just been the most positive person in the room. And it's not like a fake positivity, you know, like the, like yeah. a toxic positivity. You're always just, there's an optimism about you. What's the secret so we can bottle it and sell it? What is it? <laughs> you know, I think I, I think I got that from my mother. Um, the, you know, kind of the way she raised us, uh, me and my, I have four um, siblings, two brothers and two sisters. So there's five of us total. Um, my mom never let us really get down on ourselves and she never um, really tolerated us. Uh, complaining a lot or uh, looking at the world and, and the woe is me type thing. She would always try and help us have a lot of gratitude in her heart and look at what we did have, look at what was going well. And then she always had a lot of faith. She was, a, she was very, very faithful. And so she would always say to me, Molly, I have so much faith. I don't have to worry. I have so much faith. I don't have to worry. The, the world could fall down, but I have faith and I'll be okay. And so I think I, I think I got that from her a little bit. And then I also had a, a really good influence with my great uncle. His name is Mike Stewart. And he, um, he was the kind of guy who said hard work is what gets you where you need to be. He always said, um, those who are the most successful in life are the ones who show up, you know, the ones who show up and do what they say that they're going to do and don't, um, let other people down. And, you know, the more and more I thought about that, I thought, you know what, I just need to show up. I just need to be there um, and be available and be, um, be willing and ready to do whatever I can to help in any way that I can. 
So I think, you know, I think a lot of it just comes from being, uh, thankful. I think gratitude is huge. And so I am thankful to my mother for teaching me that teaching me how much recognizing what I do have is there. I, you know, I had, so, you know, this Ian, I, I mentioned it earlier that I was married when I was 42 years old. And that is not for lack of trying or wanting marriage. From the time that I was a small child, um, I always wanted to be married. I wanted to have children. I wanted to have a family. I wanted to be a mother. Um, and I thought that's what I was going to be. That's why when I went to college, I didn't have a plan. I didn't know what I wanted to be when I grew up when I went to college because I just said, well, I'll just do it like my mom did. I'll get married and I'll be a stay-at-home mom and, and that's how my life will be. And um that was not something that was reality in my world. And, and, and honestly, despite lots and lots of years and years of dating and, and trying to find that didn't happen for a long time. And, and, uh, that is something that someone who really wants to be married and isn't can be, um, down on themselves on that. Like, why can't I have this as part of my life? Why can't this be, what my life is. And, and instead of that, uh, especially with my extended family and my immediate family as well, I tried to say, okay, well, if my role is not to be, you know, a mother with five kids and all that, that's not how I'm supposed to be. What is my role and what, how can I make myself meaningful, make my time meaningful and how can I help other people? And so I started doing some maybe um, unorthodox kind of things, things that were maybe out of the ordinary, but I, you know, offered myself as a babysitter often, or I, um, I started taking photographs of the family. I started, I got a really nice camera and I started taking photography classes and I started building family calendars and I started keeping track of, you know, birthdays and, and things like that and, and helping keep the family connected. Um, I, made it a point to fly around the country and even the world and visit my cousins um, and spend some time with them and invest in them. And it's paid huge dividends because I have great relationships with all of my extended family, my cousins, my grandfather, who's who just passed away in March of this year. He was 94 when he passed away, but he was my travel companion a lot. And I would take him with me when he was a widow widower, and I would take him with me to visit my cousins in Switzerland or in um, Washington, D.C. or wherever they happened to be. And I would say, Grandpa, we're going to go. And he would be my travel companion. And we'd go visit visit his grandkids and his great grandkids and build relationships. And, and those relationships, it takes a lot of investment to have good relationships. You have to put a lot of time into it. And so I said, you know, I'm going to be the connector. I'm going to help everyone feel like they're connected to each other and the family um, can reach out. And it's paid huge dividends for my life. I love that. I, I probably went a little longer on that answer than you were expecting. No, that's fine. I, <laughs> this is about you. Um, yeah. I love what you said. You really looked outside of yourself to find that joy. Mm -hmm. And I, I know we live in a time of social media where... The, the looking outside of yourself is not in a, in a good way. It's in a, oh, what's everybody else doing? So what would you, um, what would you say as advice, like if somebody's feeling pretty depressed because they're not, things aren't going the right way, 
Um, it's it's mm-hmm. it's pretty easy to see your blessings when the sun is shining. What what is your advice for when it's raining? And because that's what always impressed me about you is it's like we like the world is ending, but Molly's smiling. So like, <laughs> what what is it when you're in like your hardest times? How do you still stay motivated and and, and optimistic? Yeah. Well, I think one of the things, so you mentioned social media, um, it's becoming more and more prevalent, social media, and you have your, you have your little device, right? That you carry around with you all day, every day. And my rectangle right here. Yeah. On your, on your little device, um, there's things that can make you, um, feel better about yourself or feel worse about yourself, depending on how you do them. And, and, um, when it comes to uh, social media, what you want to do is be very selective with what you let into your life and what you let into your world. Um, comparison, anytime you start comparing yourself with someone else or with someone else's this, on social media, a lot of times you're comparing your rainy day, your worst day with someone else's best day. Most of the things that people are posting on social media these days are their best day. They're posting the day their child graduated from college or they're posting the day that they got an A on their test or they're posting the day that they got a new job or something. And and you're looking at all these positive things that are happening in these people's lives and you're looking at your own life and it's rainy day in your world. And so you're comparing your worst day with their best day. Just rise yourself above the comparison altogether. Just take out that comparison from your life. Don't try and compare your life to anyone else's life. Compare your life with what you think as your expectations are for yourself and then set goals and expectations for yourself. And you only have to live up to those. Those are the things that matter to you, not the, oh my goodness, so-and-so just had this happen and this happen and this happen. And then all of a sudden you start feeling down and depressed and you start feeling like your life can't compete or compare with any of those. And then the other thing that happens is you might start posting things on social media yourself um, in hopes of getting some positive feedback, you want to get, um, you want people to like your page or give you, um, positive comments or, or feedback or, you know, uh, interact with you that way. And you kind of put a lot of, um, you kind of put a lot of hope in, well, I'll only feel good if other people like me. You need to like yourself. You need to, um, figure out what you have to offer and, and, uh, really, really like yourself. And the best way to like yourself, I know this sounds really counterintuitive, but the best way to like yourself is to serve others. So if you can get outside of yourself, go and see what you can do to help other people, help other people who are struggling. Um, then that's going to have a, you know, the counterbalance to that will be, you'll feel better about, look what I was able to accomplish. Look who I was able to help. Look who I was able to lift. And they'll end up lifting you. That's how you develop deep, lasting friendships and relationships is by investing in people. And nowadays, it doesn't happen like it used to. It used to be, you know, 50, 100 years ago, everybody would be out on the town. They'd be walking by each other's houses. They would be visiting. And that's how they would have their sociality. Nowadays, and especially when we have a virus, you know, that's keeping us physically separated, um, we're now doing it through this filter of this, of this, um, 
world of apps and Twitter and Instagram and things like that. And so we're not getting the full picture. We're not sitting down and talking with people about what their struggles are or what's going well in their lives or what's not going well in their lives. And so I think it's that comparison. Um, you, you build, you, you make uh, judgments about yourself based upon how you feel compared with other people. And if you can take that comparison away, rise above that and just look, do the best that you can do within yourself and not worry about what's going on with anybody else. Cause you really probably don't have any idea what's going on in deep inside of them. I, um, retweet praise. That's, that's the good Sunday service that I love to hear. Um, <laughs> I just had a conversation with one of my friends one on a previous episode about just what you said about, um, looking outside of yourself to really find yeah. meaning. And I, th- that is so true. And that's something that I think needs to happen during a virus. Like, yeah, mm-hmm. it's hard. Like I can't just go over to my neighbor's house and say, Hey, let's hang out. But taking time to, to help someone else with their problem, it's always put my problems into perspective. It hasn't minimized my problems in any way, but I've noticed that I am better able to, I'm, I can look at them with a, with a better mind, a clearer mind after I've helped someone else or they yeah. in turn upon me helping them, they yeah. inadvertently or intentionally solved my problem. It's yeah. So preach everything that you just said. One hundred percent true. Um, I know you're a deeply faithful person. How has yes. your faith kind of been interwoven into your life, and and how have you seen it help the person you are? Like, how has it gotten you to where you are now? Oh, that's a very good question. Um, so I kind of, I've kind of committed to my faith very early on when I was, you know, a teenager, even when I was, you know, kind of 13, 14, 15, I, I kind of, you know, dug within my soul and I said, okay, am I going to embrace this religion or not? And am I going to um, be all in or am I going to be a halfway there? And I decided And my grandmother, she taught me this. I loved the way she phrased this. She always said, you know, even if I wasn't active in my faith, the way that my faith teaches me to live, I can't think of a better way to live. It's probably the best way I can think to live. And so I said, you know what? That's true. Even if, you know, everything that I believe turns out to be false in the end or I was a little bit off or something, um, I can see no fault in the values that it teaches or the way that it inspires me to live. And so I said, you know what, I'm going to be all in because if I'm one foot in and one foot out, I'll never be fully committed and I'll never be uh, fully happy with it and I'll always be questioning. So I kind of decided when I was very, very young that I would be all in. And then the other thing I decided was any assignment that they give me, I'm going to take it. I'm not going to question that. I'm not going to question am I, you know, am I, Am I the right one for the job? Am I the best? Am I going to, you know, and I said, you know what, I'm going to do my best. And and there were things I failed at. There were things I did well. There were things that I did not so well, but I just said, I'm going to be a hundred percent committed and, and, um, that's going to become who I am. And I'm really not going to care if people judge me for that or if they, 
think less of me for that or feel like I'm just kind of blindly following as a sheep, which I don't do, I don't think. Um, and then, you know, a lot of what uh, our religion teaches is you have to find out for yourself. There is personal revelation. You can have a personal re- um, relationship with God. And that is the foundation of my faith is my personal relationship with God and making sure that I'm doing things every single day that are strengthening that and that I'm attempting to get closer every single day. Now, that doesn't mean that I've succeeded. And that doesn't mean that every year or month or day or week or whatever time period of my life has been ideal. But I have never lost my commitment. I've never lost my faith. And frankly, I've never really questioned my faith. Um, I've had questions and I've had um, things that I want to understand better. And I've had things that I research and I want to know and I want to figure out and I want to understand. But I've never questioned my faith per se. And um, I just decided, you know what, I'm all in. This this is who I am. This is what I'm going to do. And there's, I really can see no downside to being 100% committed to it. See, it's That's, interesting that you're saying all this is because this is, those are the qualities that I learned from you. So for <laughs> all of those listening, just background, Molly was one of my church leaders growing up when I was growing up in church. Um, and that's how we got a, a good relationship. And, and that's what I learned from you was, you know, it's better to be doing a good thing than a bad thing 100% of the time. And that's, that's very similar to where I, um, what I view with, with my faith and how it's impacted my life of, you know, let's say we all die and we find out that none of it was worth it. Well, I don't regret doing any of the good things I've done. I don't feel like anything that my faith has asked me to do is a net bad on society. So, um, I, one thing I'd love to talk with you about as well is we're living in a world where more and more people are kind of turning away from, you know, religion or even Christianity and not just Christianity, but just religion in general. What do you think the value of religion and maybe not just necessarily like an organized religion, but faithfulness? What's the value of that in business or in accounting or in like a professional setting? Oh, another very, very good question. Um, I think it comes down to um, having good values. Um, The last thing in the world you want is to do business with someone that doesn't have integrity. Doing business with someone who doesn't have a sense of morality or feels as though, you know, the end justifies the means and we really, really doesn't matter what we do. Um, in the world of accounting specifically, where I, you know, do, do most of my work, there's a lot of judgment calls that can be made and there's a lot of kind of wiggle room, um, that can be exercised. And, um, you know, I've had some experiences with, uh, different people. I, I remember when I was in public accounting, going in and, and, uh, to audit a company at one point. And, um, I remember I was sitting in the audit room and I had a phone call and I was the only one in the audit room. And I was, I was pretty junior at that point, but I had a phone call and somebody called up and said, Hey, are you with the accounting person that's auditing right now? Are you auditing this company? I said, yeah, I am. And they said, 
Um, I just want you to know that a lot of the things that the people are doing at this company are very dishonest. And here's two or three different areas that you should really look to, to try and find some of these, you know, things that they're doing money and various things. And, and I said, okay, um, well, thank you for the phone call. And they said, I'm not going to tell you my name. I'm not going to tell you who I am, but look here, you know, the smoking gun is over here. And, and I was like, okay. And so I, you know, I immediately talked with my supervisors and things. They came in and, and the whole place was, you know, shut down and the, you know, we, we had to have the, um, forensic team come in and figure out, you know, what had gone on in, in that way. And, and, um, that was just down the street from where I live and, and people I knew worked at this place, you know, and, and so there's now this, you know, black mark on all the people that had, had, uh, participated in all this and, and they're not trustworthy. So if you commit yourself to a faith that has values like integrity, like honesty, like, um, treating people with respect and various things like that. It's only going to benefit you in business in the long term. Um, you know, there may be, um, you, you know, there, there may be this notion that, well, people will judge me because of my religion. Honestly, the experience that I have found is people, um, tend to appreciate that I have conviction. I never try and push my beliefs on anyone or, push my religion on anyone. But, um, what happens is when uh, this is, this is the honest truth. When, um, when people have hard things happen in their lives, um, a death of a child, um, a death of a parent, um, a, you know, diagnosis of a illness or their house caught on fire or things like that. When people end up in kind of crisis mode and, and things happen, um, I almost always get a knock at my door of my office and people want to come in and talk about it. They want to come in and talk about it with someone who they know will um, be able to have a, a good conversation with them about what, you know, what do you think this means? How do you think this is? And my door is always open for things like that, but I tend to be one of the ones at the office that people want to come and talk to when there's a tragedy or when something goes wrong. And I think it's because they know that I have that faith and conviction and that I'm steady. You know, I'm not going to be flip flopping all over the place. And I don't know from day to day, whether or not I know what I believe or, or how I, how I feel. And so that's been um, great for me um, in that it's helped me, have depth of relationships that I might not have otherwise. So I don't know if that fully answered your question, but that's kind of how I feel like my religious beliefs parlay over into my business world. Yeah, no, that was, that was perfect. <laughs> um, this is all about you, Molly. You can say whatever you want. Just <laughs> keep it PG or I have to oh, go yeah, back I and I wish we could it. spend the hour and I could find out what's been going on in your world more. I need to know more what's going on in your life. I'm, I'm born. School and... That, yeah, that's all you know. Well, okay. We'll have to go to lunch sometime after. And, yeah, and for sure. With socially distanced, obviously. Of course, obviously. Um, so 1-800-CONTACTS, they're located in Provo, right? The headquarters are... Draper. Draper. Oh, I was going to ask about going orange in Utah Valley. In Utah Valley oh, yeah. But you have no idea. Well, I mean, you have an idea, I'm sure, but that doesn't really impact you. Um, so you're a mom. Yes. You are a business leader. You are yes. a wife. 
That's a lot. Uh-huh. How do you balance all that? That because that's that is a lot of, of that's many things pulling at you, and I'm sure you do things in the community, and you have friends that also, you know, you have all of these things pulling you so many different ways. How do you balance it? Oh, yeah. So the last three years of my life, I've been married. Prior to that, I wasn't married, and I had probably a lot more flexibility in what I could do with my time yeah. and how I could spend it with, you know, whoever I wanted or however I wanted to serve, and it was all my decisions. Now, you're right. I am a mother, stepmother, I should say, um, but I'm still an aunt and a wife and a, a controller and, you know, all of those things. And so this has, this has um, probably been one of the things that has um, tested me more than anything else that I've ever gone through in my life. The last three years, trying to do that very thing, figure out the balance. Um, when I first got married... Oh, I was, I thought that I had unlimited capacity to give. And I, I really did. I thought, I am a strong woman. I know what I've been, I know what I'm capable of. I've been able to, you know, do this, take care of myself. I've done this for 42 years. I can do this. I can do this. This is, and now I have a partner. I have a spouse. You know, we can, I can, oh man, this is going to be great. And I, for maybe the first about three months of our marriage, I thought that I was superwoman and I could just do it all. I just thought that I could manage everything, whether it be the household duties, my job stuff, you know, helping my husband with his kind of things, being super mom for these kiddos. I mean, I just thought that I could be, and, and I burned myself out. And I, I kind of <laughs> got a spot where I just said, I, this is more than I am not capable of carrying everything. And I had to have some kind of frank conversations with my husband because he was loving it. Cause I was just taking everything. <laughs> I was just, I'd take the garbage out in the morning. I would go run my, you know, do my exercise. And then I would come and I would make dinner for every, I mean, I was, I just was trying to do, I was trying to do on what kind of happened is, is I started just doing, I was still doing everything, but I was doing everything like, you know, 60%, yeah. 60, 65%. And I just was not, well, so I, I felt like I could never catch up and I could never do anything really, really well. And so I had to sit down with my husband and say, this isn't working. And I, I am, you know, I'm unbalanced and I'm, I am really not capable of doing everything. And, uh, I think it kind of disappointed him a little bit, but, <laughs> but we, you know, we, we kind of worked it through and we kind of came up with, um, a little bit more balanced approach. And then really over the years, over these three years that I've been married, we've, um, it's evolved and evolved and evolved. And what I've had to recognize is that I might not have the coolest Halloween decorations on the block. It just might not happen. Or my Christmas tree might not get taken down until the 15th of January or even the 30th of January. If you get it down on the 15th of January, you are in the 90th percentile of people who get it down. (laughs) Well, I just, I mean, it might not get, you know, things might not get, get done the way that they need to get done. And, um, you know, as quickly as I would like them to, um, things like that, you know, I just kind of set some things aside. Um, my husband and I have decided we have, we have our children with us every other weekend. We have them. And so the weekend when we don't have the children, um, pretty much without fail, Friday night is date night. 
and that's designated as date night. And we're going to do something together that is bonding to the two of us that night, no matter what. And that's something that I can count on. I can put it on my calendar. I know that it's going to happen. And um, I can look to that when I'm feeling stressed. I know Friday night, five o'clock, it's just me and Ryan, you know, we're just going to go do our thing. And, and that's, that's how that's going to work. And so it's not, you know, every night of the week, and it's not more than we can handle, but it's definitely a time set aside. And so I have to kind of do that um, a little bit. I have to be flexible uh, with my, with my job. Sometimes I have to tell my boss, Hey, I'm signing off for the next three hours. Um, I've got it. It's my child's birthday and we're going to do his birthday party. And that's just the way it's going to be. And, you know, I give him, obviously I give him notice and things, but I just say, I've, I've got to sign off. And my boss is extremely understanding because I said, you know, I'm going to take off from six till nine, but I'll be back online at nine. Um, if you need anything, but that's the way it's going to be. And so, you know, you have to set boundaries. You have to kind of say, well, you know, this is the boundary for this and this is the boundary for this and this is be the boundary for this. And, um, you know, you just kind of, you make sure you use your in-between times well. Your, you know, your transition times and your in-between times. And sometimes those transition times and in-between times, you actually have to um, relax, go for a walk, um, That's a lie. take a nap. Relaxing never. I No, I'm just kidding. I, well, I mean, there's not a lot hard. of time for it, but if you can get a 15-minute just, uh, you know what, I'm going to just sit here and listen to my favorite podcast, or which is now going to be the Bungalow podcast, obviously. 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 But, you know, you just take 15 minutes here and there, and you just kind of recharge and regroup, and, you know, you just realize, okay, I'm going to do what I can when I can. And, you know, I find I'm working from home now a lot, and Sometimes I'll be on a conference call where it's one that I don't have to comment as much. I just need to listen. And so I might find myself, um, okay, I'm going to put it on and I'm going to throw in a load of laundry while I'm listening, you know, or I'm going to unload the dishwasher or something like that just so that I can keep some balance. Yeah. Working from home has been difficult because you just feel like you're always on, you know, you always have to be there and available. And so I really do. I have to turn it off and check out and i get yeah. that i there's so many questions that 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 that's spurred but i'm going to start because we just talked about it working from home yeah is, there are some days where i'm like this is great this is the greatest thing in the world um especially with school online school like there are some days where i'm like like what you just said sometimes i just throw my lecture on and I can go do homework for other classes or I can go do a load of laundry. I can go do the dishes. But then other days working from home, just like building those boundaries of like, okay, well, I'm going to go sit in the living room for 10 hours today. I guess that's what my plan is today. And it's very, I don't know. How do you think business is going to change moving forward? Because we we keep talking about we're going to get to a new normal. I don't think we're I, like normal. I don't think that's the right word because I think businesses have seen there is value in some in some aspects of like work from home, and then there's also value in coming into the office. I don't know if you have insight about one eight hundred contacts, but what what do you think the plan is moving forward after this quarantine yeah. ends? 
Yeah, so I sit on a, uh, I sit on a, uh, I don't know, group at my office, maybe a kind of a team a at my office, a committee, that might be a good word, um, that uh, we meet once a week and we talk about COVID and how it's affecting us. We talk about working from home. We talk about what the future is. And when I had contacts where I work, um, we have an awesome office in Draper, and Ian, one day, I'll bring you there. I can't wait to show you everything that's in there. I'm excited. We have, like, a killer restaurant in our building that is just for us, and it's run by us, and it's subsidized by the company, and it is awesome. Um, and we have this great chef and everything. And then we also have a state-of-the-art gym, and we have all these um, trainers, like gym trainers wow. that – that help us out and, and it's just free to use, right? You can go in and use a trainer anytime you want. We also have a um, eye clinic where you can go get an eye exam there, you know, just right there on our first floor. And it's just available for us and all of our um, employees. So there's all these amenities. And as soon as we all went to work from home, they all got shut down. <laughs> the restaurant got shut down. The gym got shut down. The eye clinic got shut down. And just kind of all of these things that we were used to just kind of got shut down. And it was, I mean, I'd worked there for 17 years. That restaurant, that's where I ate lunch. And I knew exactly the salad I loved. I knew exactly what, you know, it was that I liked. And and now all of a sudden I have to come home and cook for myself. Are you kidding? Like, how am I supposed to manage, you know? And so, I'm sorry. So I'm laughing because it's like, I get that. Like, I'm right there with you. I You're feel right there with so me. Okay, hard. you totally get it. So there were a lot of real downsides to working from home. And I agree with you. There's been some things that are fantastic. Like we bought a company from Israel in December. And a lot of times we have to have calls with Israel. And they'll be 6 a.m. or 7 a.m. And I don't have to get up at 4.30 in order to get ready to go on a call. Uh, because I'm just right here at home. I can, you know... Um, manage that much better. So there's a lot of things from that perspective that work really well and trying to, um, you know, balance things with work, you know, work, work. Okay. Um, but I, I like being in the office. I like having the interaction. I like having the social side of it. And, and I think that, um, I think we're, I don't think we'll ever go back to exactly how it was before. My hope is, though, that there's some kind of a hybrid-ish kind of model where now we all have the capability from working at home if we need to, but we also have a place to work. I think businesses are going to start to recognize that they can save a whole lot of money by not having so much office space. I think you'll have more hoteling at companies where you don't have your own designated office, but you hotel. So when you go into the office, you just get assigned a cubicle or wherever. Um, I think there'll be more and more of that over time. Um, but yeah, I mean, my hope is that within six months to a year, we have more and more where we're back in our offices and we're back doing some of those things. But I don't have any idea. So I know within my company, um, we've had to make sure that everybody's... Uh, so over <laughs> when I first started out from home, I had one set up and then little by little, I've changed out my keyboard to an ergonomic keyboard and I've changed out my chair to an ergonomic chair and I've changed out my laptop to one that's much more powerful and I've upgraded my internet. And the more and more I do those things, the more and more um, comfortable working from home is. 
at the very beginning, it was really strained, clunky, you know. Very clunky. That's a great word for it. It was really clunky. But over time, it you know, it's gotten better and better. I, I need... Um, this is kind of crazy. My I'm sitting in my bedroom. My bedroom is my office. My husband is a therapist, like I said, and he meets with people in our home. And so he uses our front office that's like a real designated office as his place where he meets with clients. And so I can't use that room. So I'm kind of set up in our bedroom. My hope is it won't be like this forever and we'll be able to get a different space where I can actually work. But um, yeah, that's kind of kind of the way it is i wish that it was a little bit different but that's kind of the way it is right now and yeah um i was at a company yeah. at the beginning of quarantine i don't know if you've uh-huh. heard of levitt partners um mm. they're they're a consulting firm downtown okay um, sure i was on their operations team and well hr and operations and when we went i had already been working remotely they they were letting uh-huh. me like work from campus and all that stuff sure but there was something just really nice. Like there, I don't know what if it was just the human interaction, like the sense of team. But I'd go in every Friday, and there was something about just like going in, seeing people, that like mm-hmm. kind of little banter you have before a meeting, mm-hmm. the banter after the meeting. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like it's that's what I miss most. Is yeah. I can do work for, like realistically, I can do a job from anywhere, but mm-hmm. I would rather do it around my coworkers. Like that was yeah. that's really what I miss, and it's the same with school. Like I, online school is probably the most convenient. This has been the most convenient education setup ever. Like over the summer, I took an accelerated course that would have been in person, but. I I think it's a miracle that it moved online. I would have had to go on campus every day, 8 a.m. to 2 p.m., Monday through Friday, for 12 weeks straight. But then they moved it to online, and I'm like, well, I can just roll over once I wake up and <laughs> log in. And it's been super convenient. So there's those two. I agree with you. I think yeah. that there, there will be more of a hybrid moving out of this. Um, yeah. How how how's it been trying to you know you talked about how you're the connector of your family uh-huh. of your extended yep. family how has that been with quarantine because obviously you can't travel well you shouldn't travel internationally and most countries aren't accepting tourists yeah. but what have you been doing to stay connected with your family? Well, I think, so I think that the uh, connections that I established in the past have made a huge difference because I've already established relationships. Right now, it's harder to establish new relationships, but to touch base and to keep, you know, to stay in contact is, has been a little better. Um, Rather than doing our large scale family reunion with grandma and grandpa and the whole nine yards, um, we just did my immediate family at a little, at a much smaller scale down group. Um, and we've been connecting that way. So we've been, so I've been connecting more with more of my immediate family and not so much with the extended family physically visiting them. But, you know, we've had, so for instance, um, I had one, one of my cousins, her daughter, um, got a mission call and was scheduled to go somewhere. And she decided, she says, well, we're not having, um, church. So I won't have kind of a fair church. I'm just going to do one over zoom. 
And so she did a, a Zoom farewell. Yeah. And all of us got to join. Where she lives in Washington, D.C., I never would have been able to see that. But instead, she got online and she talked to all of us. And so now I am very invested in her mission and where she is and what she's doing. And so I read her emails every week and I try and respond when I can. And um, I feel much more connected to her that way. So, you know, embracing what we can do um, in right at the very beginning of COVID. I mentioned my 94 year old grandfather died. He died on about March 30th. <laughs> and so we had to have a virtual funeral and I had to speak at this virtual funeral and I was at the funeral home and I stood up at the podium to, you know, to honor my grandfather and all my cousins and aunts and uncles and everyone um, watched from Skype or watched from, you know, or from Zoom or whatever it was on. And um, so they were all able to, able to participate. I got a lot of feedback from my family that they had watched and they had seen and known what happened. And so rather than just um, shutting down and saying, oh, this is terrible. I'll never have any relationships ever again. How am I going to do this? We've just kind of tried to embrace what we can and say, well, let's make the best of it. Let's let's do the very, very best we can with, with what we have. And so um, I've done – I've you know me, and I've been doing a lot of family history yes. work. Hmm, yeah. I wonder how that happens. But um, I've been connecting with my family through that, through, um, like I said, I take a lot of photographs. I take a lot of pictures, and I've been scanning a lot of photos and pictures of my family. I went over to my grandparents' house, and I raided their basement and pulled out all their old photos, and I've been spending hours and hours scanning photos during COVID because because I can. I'm home, and... Uh, so I've been scanning yeah. a bunch of photos and, and uh, putting those out there for the whole family to see. And so the family's been connecting that way, which is kind of fun. So you just kind of have to say, well, what circumstance am I in right now? What can I do? How can I help keep my family connected? How can I help keep my family having dialogue? How can I help um, my cousins and their kids um, with, with, their, with their, you know, challenges? And, and uh, so... Yeah, that's one of the ways that I picked. Yeah, I, so. I honestly think, and I've had a lot of conversations with people about this, COVID has been a time for me personally to get closer to my family. To uh-huh. it, It's really weird, like, I've been in more contact with my parents. I've been in more contact mm-hmm. with my brothers. I've been in more contact with close friends. Just because... I, I, and, and it's in a creative way. Like you talked about how you're doing your family history. I've been getting into indexing. And for those of you yes. listening who don't know what indexing is, it's explaining it makes it sound very boring, but it's actually really cool. Like you go online to familysearch.com and you are given these digital, doc, digitized old documents and you go through and you try to, you know, figure out what it's saying. And it's just been, like, it's a good thing to do. It's a good thing to do with your family. And it keeps you busy during quarantine. Um, I tried the whole, like, at the beginning of quarantine, I tried the whole, wall. Well, I'm going to, I was going to run a marathon in 2020. That was my, <laughs> I was going to run a half marathon. I was going to run the Provo half marathon and then the, like, the KSL full marathon. Uh-huh. Sure. And COVID hit. And I was like, well, that's clearly God telling me that I... Shouldn't run a marathon, right? <laughs> um, and so I tried the, you know, well, I'm just going to sit and binge Netflix and Hulu and whatever's on 
And then that lasted for a week. And I like what you said, you know, using what we have, getting creative, finding ways to reach out to our family and friends. It's out there. Like, there are plenty of good things to do. Um, I don't want to keep you too long. We've been talking for almost an hour now. A fantastic yeah. hour. Um, do you have any final thoughts, any last words, words of encouragement and wisdom? Um, final last words of encouragement and wisdom. Well, I, you know, I go down and lecture at BYU, um, and I talk to the students there sometimes and, and they have me do this lecture and I always talk about the 10 things I wish I knew when I was in do college, that. you know, the 10 things yeah. I would have done. And one of the main ones, um, that has had a lasting effect on my life is, um, kind of, I mentioned it a little bit earlier, but invest in people or invest in, um, just invest in people. So when I was in college, um, we had, um, at BYU, they had every Tuesday at 11, they always had a devotional that everyone went to across the campus. So that always meant that on Thursdays at 11 o'clock, nobody ever had a class because you would usually have, you know, a Tuesday, Thursday class at 11, but nobody had a Tuesday class at 11 because we all had this thing. So everybody almost always had Thursday at 11 open. And so a group of us, and there were, <clears throat> oh, there were anywhere between five to seven, every Thursday at 11, we would go to lunch together every Thursday. And so for two and a half years of my college time, time, every Thursday at 11, I went to lunch with a group of people and it kind of ebbed and flowed as to who was there, you know, but there was kind of this solid core of us of about three or four that were there pretty much every week. And we would choose the place. We would, you know, email it out to everybody or however we communicated back in the nineties, but we would tell everybody where we were going to go and they would just meet and it was just one hour and we would go to lunch and we'd come home. Well, those relationships that I established during that little, we called ourselves a lunch club or the lunch crew oh, um, have continued. And so um, right now, one of the women that was in the lunch crew with me, um, she lives on my street and we went golfing at Top Golf on Monday night for my husband's birthday. She came and was there with me. And we, that group, we get together at least once a year, if not two or three times a year. But we try and just make sure that we get together at least once a year. And I've watched their children grow. They've watched um, me get married and have stepchildren. And we've been part of each other's lives. And um, one of them became a professor at BYU and he's the one who recommended me to be on the board at BYU. And I ended up on the board because of his recommendation. And another one, the house that I live in, they sold me the property that, you know, they bought this whole swath of property and they sold me one of the lots. And now I've built my house on this lot and I live there because of that connection, because of those um, connections. And I invested in those people. And then even after college was over, I continued to invest in those relationships. And that means sending them birthday texts or inviting them over to your house for something or sending them, you know, like a cookie gram or, um, just, just doing things for them, being there for them, um, visiting them. If they live in another state, uh, there was, you know, a certain amount of time when some of them were at school in a different state and I would go and visit them and stay with them for the weekend and, 
or we would plan a trip together and we would go to California and um, spend time together and invest in those relationships. And they have such lasting effects. Um, when I was in college with these people, I had no idea who they were going to ultimately become. I had no idea that one of them would um, lose her husband to cancer and I'd have to be there for her and participated in the funeral of her husband. And, you know, I, I had no idea that those that they would become CFOs or CEOs or um, professors. I had no idea who they were going to become, but those relationships that I created and developed and invested in when I was um, younger have had lasting effects. When you're sitting in school and you're sitting in your, you know, your classes and you don't know who that person on your left and who that right person on your right are going to ultimately become. You don't know who they're going to be in 20 years or 30 years. And you don't know if, I'll, I'll be honest, this has been one of those things. I made a lot of relationships and friendships in college. My um, banker is from, from then. My mortgage guy, best mortgage guy ever. I met him in college. My attorney, best guy there. I have a, I have a title attorney. I have, I have all of these friends that have grown into these um, different uh professions and I call upon them all the time. So I have a, you know, I have a legal question and you might say, well, I don't know any lawyers. Well, I do because I was friends with them when I was 22 and now they are a successful partner in a, in a um, law practice. And I can call upon favors about that time that I tutored them in calculus. And now they're a practicing attorney and I can call them up and say, Hey, I'm thinking about buying this property. What would you recommend? Or, I'm thinking about refinancing my house, where are rates? And they can tell me, you know, and I don't have to rely on going, just, you know, opening up the phone book, which we don't even have phone books anymore, but What's opening up Google and looking up someone to be, say, well, I, I think I need a, a will. Who do I call? You know, I have these relationships that I've established over time and they pay huge, huge, huge dividends. When you invest in people, um, even when you're in your 20s, when you invest in people and you want to know them, want to, and then I do favors on the flip side. When they need contact lenses or they need an eye exam, I, I help them out with that. Or when they need something that I can help them with, I'm more than willing to try and, and help them as best I can. And so I, that would be my piece of advice is make some relationships, invest in people, and be genuine about it. You're not doing it to benefit, like, you know, for prestige or to say you're friends with X, you know, whoever it is. I didn't know who those people were going to be in college. They were just the guy that happened to be sitting next to me, you know, and who I happened to make friends with or got put in my group with me. But I invested in people and all of us benefited from it. Like, you know, rising tide raises all boats, yeah. right? All of us benefited from those, from those relationships. That would be my piece of advice. If you're young and in college and you're trying to figure out, you know, I want to be successful in life. How do I do it? Well, it's all about relationships. Well, truly great wisdom from a very wise individual. So thank you so much. <laughs> You're so sweet. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for being willing to be interviewed. Um, sure. Thank you all for listening. Um, go to my website, get merch, and yeah, have a good day. Oh, all right, we're done.